Hi, my name is Kenny Morgan. I'm one of the pastors at Midtown Baptist Temple in Kansas City, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, the Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series dedicated to interviewing pastors and professors across the Living Faith Fellowship. If you are a regular viewer and listener, you've already noticed that today the setup is a lot different. I'm sitting in the seat that Pastor Brandon Briscoe normally sits in. And the reason that I'm sitting in this seat is because I'm going to be interviewing him today uh, for many episodes now. You've had the opportunity to to hear from Brandon as he is moderating interviews, and you've probably gleaned a few things about him, but I'm very confident that after today, you're going to have a much better idea in terms of who he is and what makes his heart beat. So I'm excited for you to to just have exposure to his heart more than anything with respect to what we're going to be talking about today, which is a subject that I know personally is a passion for him, which is leadership development. So with that in mind, welcome to your show, The Postscript. Ooh, man, dude, you nailed that intro. That was so good. I mean, you're, you're making me look bad is what you're doing. Well, <laughs> so here, here's what it is. I know the standard. Oh man, whatever, whatever. Dude, thanks for doing this. This is, uh, you know, when James interviewed me, it was a little awkward and uh, I feel a little bit less nervous about this one. So here we go. Well, I think you probably feel less nervous because this is so familiar. This is familiar, yeah. Right? What, what's happening right now is something that happens regularly, regularly between us. Yeah, for sure. Right? We sit down and we're not small talk guys. No. Right. Mm-hmm. You and I sit down and it is it is intense and serious and substantive. Yeah. For long periods of time. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But that's one of my favorite things about being here. Yeah. Is that time we get to spend a couple of times a week where we just talk ministry life. Oh, yeah. Man, it's it's a privilege to know you. And and this is this is fun. I'm glad to do this. Oh, man. I'm, and I know it's tough for you to I know you don't like to be the center of attention no. any more than I do. Yeah. But it's a lot more. So when I was on the postscript, I'll, I'll just say this: it's much better to sit on this side. You think so? Yes, <laughs> man. Okay. Well, I'm going to take your word for that. <laughs> so speaking of just the times that you and I have where we're talking right about the ministry and and things of that nature, I don't know that there's a week that goes by where we don't have a discussion about leadership mm-hmm. in some capacity. We're always talking about leadership, talking about leadership development. And so what we're going to do right now is basically uh, invite listeners and viewers to be a part of something that is so routine for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So with that in mind, we're talking about leadership development. And what I want to do is I want to begin by asking you to respond to this statement. I want to see what what you think and what you would what you would say and what you would share. Okay. And the statement goes like this. You can tell a lot about a man of God by the leaders that are being developed around him. Do you agree or disagree with that statement and why? I would agree with that. Um, I mean, just just the principle of fruit mm-hmm. alone would, would lead us to believe that that's true. I mean, uh, people produce after their own kind. Yes. And, um, and so you, you, you learn about people based on, first of all, who, who they surround themselves with. 
uh, in terms of friends and peers, um, but then also in terms of what they produce in terms of, of, of people, a culture. And so it makes me think a lot about Sam, okay. you know, uh, yeah. our, our pastor, Sam Miles. And I, I think about the fruit that he's produced more than I think about maybe the fruit that I've produced. But, uh, but in terms of leaders, man, I, I look at a life like that, or I look at the other leaders that I really respect and I see the, the fruitfulness of the people they've invested in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it is, a, it is a measurement. It's a measurement of, of someone's um, endurance, faith, consistency, um, sacrifice, sacrifice is huge. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's worth repeating. It's worth reproducing leaders that, that reproduce leaders for yeah. sure. You talked about Sam and I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, one of the things that we have shared, I would say at this point, countless times is mm -hmm. just how much of a blessing it is to, to be in a ministry culture. Something you've discussed with Sam on, on this show mm -hmm. has been Sam's heart to give the ministry away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think when, when you have a, a culture that is rich in leadership development, I think it speaks to the focus of the man. Mm -hmm. And in Sam, I think we would agree and, and we praise the Lord that Sam's focus is not Sam. Right. Sam's focus is much larger than Sam, which is why he has a zeal for developing leaders, yeah. which you definitely have. Because that's his focus is bigger than himself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you see uh, Sam giving up things that he wants yeah. all the time. Yeah. Uh, he holds his tongue <laughs> yeah. in order to favor the the, the mission and, inve and investing in us. I mean, yeah. he wants to see us further the work more than he wants to see himself do it, yeah. which is an exceptional quality. And uh, I, I, ho I hope um, to reflect that as well. I hope. Amen. Well, I, you are. Yeah. And uh, I think it's very evident. And I think as we as we discuss this more today, I think it, that will become even more evident to those who are listening. And I think they'll be able to to uh, to, to glean from that. As you are aware, there are there are some stats out there mm -hmm. that talk about how many pastors leave the ministry and yeah. with frequency mm -hmm. and, and depending on the source. Uh, some of those stats can be very alarming. Yeah. Right. Maybe it's burnout or discouragement. What I like to ask is, from your perspective, how does leadership development factor into that discussion mm -hmm. when we're talking about pastoral burnout, discouragement, and pastors leaving the ministry? Well, you know, I think that some pastors just, it's difficult because sometimes you ask yourself, does this person actually have the predilection for the pastorate? Mm. And, uh, I think there's a lot of people that enter the pastorate that th th themselves, they're not equipped for the work. They mm -hmm. don't have the fortitude, um, the emotional fortitude that comes with it. You have to, to be a leader or to be a pastor, you have to recognize that there's going to be a lot of disappointment and there's going to be things that just don't go your way, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, and if you can't upfront determine that that's how it's going to go, you will, you will burn out. And, and um, we actually had a really great conversation with Sam about that on, one, on, one, on an episode not too long ago. But in terms of leadership and leadership development, the answer is, man, um, I would be very lonely mm -hmm. if I didn't develop leaders. And so there's a selfish aspect, I'm sure. Like if we were to, to analyze it psychologically, I'm sure that one of my primary motivations as a leader to develop other leaders is just to not have to do this by myself. Absolutely. I take great joy in knowing that um, I have friends in the ministry. I mean, 
And, uh, and that's not just peer to peer, you know, I want to raise up, you know, okay. So the easiest way to describe it, and I described it this way in the interview with James as well, was that I really love my children and I want to raise them, uh, as someone that I can enjoy their company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I want to enjoy them as my friend, not just my child, but my friend too, not someone that, you know, not just someone that's supposed to submit to me. Yeah. Right. I want it to be more than that. I want it to be richer than that. And so I don't want to treat ministry as though these are my subjects or something ridiculous like that i want to be emotionally tied to them i want to be emotionally invested i I want them to to feel like they've been heard i want them to to feel like they have a father i want them to feel that way i want them to know that i want them to have assurance of that and uh and so that's how i approach my investment and then the the fruit of that is people that are there for me the same way in turn like they are all like I can count on so many of these young people uh, just to have my back in any mm-hmm. number of situations. They're my friends. And uh, and we're in war together. We're in battle together. It's blood in, blood out. I mean, this is the way we think about it. And uh, that's much easier to do if we have each other's hearts. And and I, I believe that the leaders that I've had the privilege of investing in, um, I believe um, I have their heart and they have mine. Yeah. And that's definitely, that's, that's definitely evident and, and visible you know, here at Midtown, I see it. You know, a lot of times we, we, we've we heard this statement that it's lonely at the top. Mm-hmm. And I get I, I get the sentiment of that in terms of leadership can be, it, it can be very isolated, mm-hmm. right? And as, I've, as I was taught years ago, no one's gonna have a bigger burden for the ministry that you have than you. Mm-hmm. I get that. But I think I would, I've come to learn that it doesn't have to be as lonely as we make it. No. And I think pastors who don't get the vision or the conviction to develop leaders, that loneliness is amplified, mm-hmm. which which amplifies the discouragement and the yeah, burnout. Absolutely. Because they are on an island, so to speak, by themselves. Yeah. And it's just not meant to be that way. And I think if you're naturally relational, yeah. um, if you, you know, are built to be social, uh, then I think it's easier. I think it's easier to make a wider, broader investment. Um, and so I think there's like an emotional capacity piece too, Mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, the more emotional capacity I have, I think the more people I can reach and the more leaders I can develop and the more people I can invite into the fold without losing track. And, um, the more butter I can spread across the the bread as Sam likes to talk about pastors are a tub of butter, right? They can only be spread so far, but I think emotional, spiritual capacity, the, the more that increases, um, I think the more, the more leaders you're able to to invest in and, and and to bring alongside you so there's no big chair right like yeah. uh, you know i want there to be space at the table for for everybody who's ready for for that level of investment now there are people who are listening and they won't catch what i just caught but you just dropped about three samisms <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful yeah well yeah. hey you know he yeah, he trained me. Sure, so yes, he did. There's, there's no way around it. Every, everything's a Samism. Yes, I think. Yes, so, yeah. So, if, if there's a book of the Bible that I know you're passionate about, it's First Samuel. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we we see there is that King Saul was threatened by yeah. David's development, his leadership development, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, Saul was a leader. He, he was the sure. king. So let me ask you this. Why do you believe some leaders, some pastors even, are fearful of developing leaders? 
Saul clearly was. Right. Well, you know, with Saul, it was he he had insecurities about his role. So when I think about Saul and I think about his tendency towards uh, fear, particularly of David, I think it had to do with the f- the f- he he always wanted to be perceived as though he was in control mm. and fit for the work. And so even from the very beginning, you see Saul is hiding. He's insecure when he's supposed to be rejoicing with the nation of Israel that he's just been appointed king. He's supposed to be rejoicing. And in that moment, he's concerned about what the people might think of them. He's afraid and he's insecure. And you just see that unfold over and over and over mm-hmm. again with him uh, getting getting ahead of, of Samuel when Samuel's asking him to do this or that. He usurps the authority. The authority and because he's afraid of what the people might think or what mm. they might do and and so i think insecurity is a big deal like if you don't know your own weaknesses mm. if you're not self-aware enough to recognize that you're weak um and that uh, you're never you were never fit for the job in the first place you know, you're completely unqualified to begin with if you don't recognize those things and, and approach the leadership role with humility well then you're always you always have something to protect don't you yeah. Like, like, like as though you earned that position, like yeah. as though you worked to get there. Sure. And then now you're defending it when it was only ever just intended to be shared. That we're, we're only as good as our collective faith. That's great. Right. And, and so if I don't give other people opportunities to have faith in the things that I believe the Lord for, if, if I'm not tr- entrusting ministry to other people, well, then I'm robbing, ultimately I'm robbing God of his own kingdom work. Like, yeah. And, uh, I don't dare do that, right? Like, yeah. um, I, I'm not perfect, and I'm sure I get in God's way a lot. But, um, you know, the terror of my life should be that I get in the way of what of what He wants to do. And I think, in order to facilitate the most ministry, uh, and I think it's my responsibility to really never see my my position or my job as more precious than it really is. Mm. I'm just an under shepherd. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, based on the the many discussions that that, that you and I have had, I, I think secure leadership says I am never concerned with someone surpassing me. Right. I'm never fearful of them becoming more than what I am. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think that that's our culture here. And again, we're going to keep going back to Sam sure. because he's so influential and yeah. in who we are. But I, I think that does influence some of that fear. And you see that with Saul, you know, um, Saul has killed his thousands. David is tens yeah. of thousands. Well, now he wants the kingdom now. Yeah. So like, I think as a pastor, a lot of time, especially in our culture, um, I think in terms of American Christianity, it's always expected that a pastor who's kind of moving up into more, uh, oversight Mm -hmm. as though there's something bigger beyond them like as though they're working it's like this business model perspective it's like this corporate world perspective brought into the ministry right and i think uh so often we always think that there is uh, a bigger sea or bigger opportunity and the truth is uh, at least for me personally the way that I see my job, and I've and I've always seen it this way. I don't want to. I don't have any interest in planning church. God's never told me to do that. I, I don't ever have to be the head pastor. Don't care. The one thing I know, and maybe it's short sighted. I don't know. The one thing I know is that I am going to be a conduit for church planning. 
So, so if, if our church, the vision of our church is to plant 40 or 50 churches in the next decade or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is that Sam calls out, my primary function is to make that happen as I'm full of faith and uh, as I have the wherewithal to do it. And so for me, what that means practically is uh, I want as many people to surpass me as possible to make that happen. That's, that's success for me. Success for me is to see young people sent out to plant churches. Mm-hmm. And that could be in the hundreds, that could be in the thousands. And if my job is only just to be that conduit, then that's success for me. To, to me, that, that might as well be my 10,000s. Wow. Um, and I, I just feel that way. And maybe I had to convince myself to do it. I don't, you know, maybe it's not natural, but I love Sam so much. And he's my, you know, he's my father in the faith. And it makes it, for me, at some level, easy to simply say, well, whatever he wants to get done, you know, I'm, I'm down to do it. You know, yeah. I'm down. Yeah. So, so I'm smiling because I, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> and, but what you just shared, I'm smiling because it is something that you have shared with me in private. And it was one of my biggest uh, hopes, if I can use that word, coming into this was that people would get to hear some of the things that I, because what you, I know you meant everything that you just said. Yeah. And it's, it's super encouraging. So let, let's 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 talk about this because I, I think this is important. When Christ sent out the apostles, um, when he first sent them out, he gave them something. It says that he he gave them power. Mm-hmm. And so I I know that in leadership development, there there are two things that we're doing where we we delegate and we empower. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Now, to those that we're delegating to, at some point, we do want to be able to empower them, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the goal is not to just keep delegating, delegating, delegating. At some point, we do want to see them grow where we can empower. So, um, how important is empowerment in developing leaders? And what does that look like to you in practice? I think that there's an underlying principle there with, okay. with delegation and empowerment because I think the two things function in tandem. Okay. So um, when you when you think about the apostles and, you know, you can see this in the Gospels, but I think you see it most clearly in Acts chapter 2 and then moving forward is this idea that that as they were tasked, they were empowered at the level of the task. Okay. So when, when I delegate, I am empowering them because I want them to function in faith and uh, and a level of autonomy, right? I'm, I'm not going to micromanage them. I, I want them to function in their delegated responsibility. But by doing that, I'm I'm giving them, I'm empowering them to do that. And then it could work in the reverse too. So, if 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 empowerment means training and giving my stamp of improve, approval, if as I'm training, I'm also delegating. So when I speak, you know about the vision or I'm teaching the word of God, as I empower at that level, I'm also delegating. So it's happening in the reverse as okay. well. And so I, I, do, I think they're both incredibly important. I think you have to give up ministry. Yes. I think you have to hand it over. I think as the ministry has grown, so as Kaya has has grown, it, and it grew at one moment, like so rapidly, I, I didn't even know how to keep up. And mm. I have chosen to make more responsibility just to invent it now not not in vain but but mission-minded ministry mm-hmm. right i just had the opportunity to create it because i needed something to delegate 
And I needed something, uh, an opportunity to empower. And so creating ministry opportunity and, and handing it off and empowering people and teaching people when they fail, propping them back up, mm -hmm. giving them counsel, um, letting them know that you believe in them at the level that Christ believes in them, um, that, that you know, we're all just doing our best as long as we trust the Lord, we're going to be okay, you know, yeah. no matter what the outcome is. And as long as you continue to cultivate that in your growing leaders, I think I think you're going to see the reproduction just happen. I think principally they'll be ready for higher levels of delegation and higher levels of empowerment just step by step by step. It has to be appropriate mm -hmm. because I think sometimes you can delegate more than someone's ready for. Sure. So you have to, I think, again, it comes back to this idea is like as a pastor, you have to be uh, socially uh, relationally aware enough to r recognize what a people a person is able to do and what they're not able to do. I think you have to know your flock. But as you do know your flock and you know what people are capable of, you always are, are giving them delegation and empowering them to be stretched just beyond what maybe they think they're capable of doing. And the process just it just unfolds, I guess. I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but yeah, no, it's good. This is as as I as I'm listening, I I'm thinking about again. This is this is us. Yeah. So I would so you share that I would come back and and because you you said something that I think is very very critical when we're talking about leadership development, and that is you have to know that people are going to fail. Yeah. Absolutely. That's part of it, right? As much as we did, as much as we still do yeah. at times, yeah. right? So they have to know that there is room and there is space to fail, mm -hmm. and and we those are those are coaching moments, those are teaching moments. I know you, you know me. Some of the most precious times that that we have in ministry are those times where we've sat down with people that we're privileged to lead to talk through failure mm -hmm. and to do it graciously, yeah, right, and to do it lovingly where they're not afraid of letting me down. Mm -hmm. They're not afraid of letting you down. They just want to please the Lord. Mm -hmm. And and how can I do that better? Yeah. Which is which is where you and I come in to be able to talk them through that. And mm -hmm. again, we have that in Sam. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's modeled, right? Yes. So I think if the pastor appears to be perfect, mm. then it's harder to fail in front of him. And then I think it's even harder to talk through failure. Yeah, and then good. there's some there's a guardedness that exists exists in the in the in the person who's trying to grow. And I think one of the very most important things that a pastor can do is recognize what level of vulnerability is appropriate. And so being humble before your flock, being um, honest, uh, never presenting yourself as more polished than you mm. need to be. Um, I think all of those things are important in order to create a culture where people aren't performing. Like, I don't want anybody to perform for me. I want them to, to strive for excellence before Jesus Christ for his namesake. Yeah. But that's, that's, I mean, that's going to have failure along the way. Like, he didn't give us this responsibility because we were perfect. He gave us this responsibility because he's perfecting us. Yeah. And I think that as a leader, you best empower other people and make it appropriate, make it okay to mess up a little bit if if uh, you yourself are open and honest about your own failures. I couldn't agree more. And th this has been great. I I definitely want to continue this and I, and I want to piggyback off that. 
And uh, so we're going to come back and and we'll keep it going. Okay, awesome. All right. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. My name is Andrew Ong. I'm a pastor uh, here at Midtown Baptist Temple, and I'm also a graduate of Living Faith Bible Institute. So I would uh, first preface to say that nothing substitute, you know, uh, disciple-making local church. So what LFBI would add to that is is that knowledge piece that is so vital, uh, you know, in this world because there is so many false doctrine all over the place, and so to be equipped in LFBI has helped me to filter through a lot of the noise uh, in in Christianity and a lot of different false doctrine, if you will, uh, and know what is the Bible saying about this matter. In terms of ministry, it has definitely uh, prepared me uh, to be a better minister, to be a better uh, preacher, uh, to be uh, more well-versed uh, with my Bible. and so. Um, I would highly recommend uh, if you are someone who is looking for a very high quality uh, school uh, to learn the Bible. Uh, I I cannot recommend enough uh, living you know Living Faith Bible Institute. If that interests you at all, please visit lfbi.org and consider enrolling in classes. When we open the show, I, I mentioned that leadership development is a passion for you. And, mm-hmm. and I think anyone listening to this up until this point can can see that clearly. It's just, it just comes I out. I don't know. Yeah. It's very evident. Um, so here at MBT, and again, I'm very careful with that. It's, it's not to to say that we're better than anybody else, anything like that. But It's but what we know. It's what we know. It's yeah. home, right? Yeah. So we have nine core ministry principles. Mm -hmm. One of our core ministry principles is that we are always training leaders. Yeah. So that's a passion for you. So what I'd like to know is, how did that become a passion for you? Man, uh, I don't know. I I think, you know, in the episode where James is interviewing me, I I explained how I grew up playing basketball. And um, I've always... Be, you know, without a father in my life, mm-hmm. I always really appreciated the uh, a coach's ability to be loving but tough at the same time. Okay, and so I think maybe just through living life, I gleaned principles from watching the coaches that I had. You know, uh, mm-hmm. my favorite coaches, uh, my favorite teachers. You know, the people that that cared about me, even though they weren't my blood. Right, like these are people that have basically adopted me in, which mm-hmm. is a similar dynamic to what we find in ministry. These are people that have kind of been adopted into a family, and you know, you're stuck with them for for good or for bad. But but they're not your your you know. These are people that were grafted together. Yeah, you know, and that's the way a basketball team works too. These are people who are brought together. They may not know each other or come from the same cultural background or whatever it might be. And so I think I learned a lot there. But also, I'm just obsessed with Jesus and uh, anything good that I've ever learned, uh, I've seen in him. And, um, you know, when I watch and see the relationship between him and the disciples Mm. and what that looks like, what they went through together, what they talked about, what they conversed about, um, I want to just be like that. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. I just want to be like that. And um, so, I mean, I think a lot of it's just having read the gospel of John 
and Mark in particular like a, like a million times, you know? And even when I didn't know God's word well, before I even showed up at KCBT, you know, the reading, reading John was, the, it was the one book I understood, yeah. you know? And so I've spent a lot of my life there and, and I, and I hope at some level to care for and to love and, uh, and desire to train leaders at the level that Jesus Christ did. I don't really know how it happened, you know? Um, and I'm not very good at it. I, I'm just, I'm following a template. Okay. I think it's a template. Um, and so it's, it's, I don't feel like any of it's groundbreaking. I just really believe that leadership development is the thing that I'm supposed to do with my life. Yeah. You know? So it's a very developing leaders. Uh, it's very intentional. It's mm -hmm. very deliberate, mm -hmm. right? Uh, leaders are never developed by accident. And I think right. that's one of the things that I see with you and your leadership is you're very intentional and very deliberate. And I would even say determined. I think anyone who is is in your, in ministry with you or under you in ministry, they they sense that. You know, I, I'll never forget this. Sam said to me years ago. I do mean years. I'm talking 25, 26 years ago. Uh, it was fairly early into our relationship, but he looked at me and he was very serious and he says, "I'm going to make you a preacher." Whoa! And I'm yeah. like, really? <laughs> yeah, I think I've said things like that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you have too. Yeah. I mean, uh, so yeah, it, it requires a lot of intentionality for sure. Yeah. But I also, again, I mean, maybe it's just easy to, to draw this parallel since we've already done it, but you know, um, I had to go to a lot of basketball practices. There's a lot of time invested into yeah. making sure that, you know, my shot was right yeah. or that I, that I knew how to play defense or just that I had the, the, uh, the physical ability to run the court back and forth. I mean, you know how many killers I did. You know, you don't remember killers. Uh, is that the same thing as suicides? Yeah, yes. I think I think the politically the politically correct. They changed it because suicide is politically oh, incorrect. Okay, to talk about. Yeah. So I think they changed it to killers. Okay. So <laughs> I, I, I just I just dated myself. Yeah, I don't know. I'm joking. I don't really, I don't know why. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think it's the same thing where you you run free throw baseline, oh, yeah. half court it's baseline. Miserable. There was a lot of that. Yeah. And uh, it took time and energy and a, and a coach was willing to meet us at practice and be there when you could be doing anything else. I mean, there's a grown man with a life. Yeah. And I, I think maybe that same sentiment exists. I recognize that ministry is going to require my time. Yes. And, uh, and my time, though I don't have a whole lot of it, has got to be very carefully placed and it's got to have the most impact on the most people. Um, and it has to be appropriate. So I, I have to know what, okay, I already know I've got time with the flock every Sunday, everybody together. But I know I'm best served at, for having leaders that are equipped. And so I have to have time with leaders. And so I make time for leaders. I, I make time to teach them how to counsel. I make time to work through their issues in ministry. I take time uh, to hear their problems or the things that they're struggling with. And so you know, monthly I'm having meetings primarily with Bible study leaders just to make sure that I'm giving them my time, that they they know that I that they have my heart, that I care for them. Um, I joke with them, I spend yeah. time with them. And then but I'm I'm equipping them all yeah. along the way. And and that requires time. It requires my evenings. It requires, you know, whether it's study or whatever it might be. But I do really believe in giving your leaders attention. And re like relational attention, yeah. 
And uh, I, you know, I'm skeptical of a pastor's ability to effectively train leaders if the only time they spend with the flock is from the pulpit. I just, I'm skeptical of it. It's not that it can't, you know, there are pastors who, who are effective pulpit pastors. That's fine. And it's not for me. Like there's no way I'm going to be able to train up 200 college and young adults to be everything that they're supposed to be unless I'm giving them time and energy uh, in a balanced and appropriate way. And uh, that's going to, that's going to take some late nights. Yeah. I don't know any other way around it. Yeah, we're not going to develop leaders from a distance. No, no, you got to be up close and personal. Mm. And there is levels like there's there are there are inner courts, mm-hmm. and uh, as f- the, as farther along a leader gets, the more you. The Sam did this for us. I mean, there were levels where it was more and more appropriate for him to let us in into the inner workings of ministry and what was going on and into conversations that it, you know that seemed beyond us. You know, but he knew the appropriate time. And I'm and again, I'm just following what I see there. And I see it in the way that Jesus trained leaders. Um, you know, I see that there were levels of investment that he made. And I think that the same thing needs to be true in the way that we develop leaders. Yeah, I think I think at the heart of every pastor, I think every pastor desires for the people that are leading with them as a pastor, you want those people to have your heart. Yeah. Right. But in order for them to have your heart, they have to be close to your heart. Yes. Yeah. That's how they get it. Yeah. And that's how that's how we we have Sam's heart. And and again, the people, it, it's so important for them. If I can say it this way, I think you would agree. They have to be able to get their hands on you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And Absolutely. feel a connection with you. Yeah. It's important. And the irony of it, Sam always talks about how, he, you know, he, he, he doesn't need relationships. Like he's just not built or wired to need a lot of like, mm-hmm. of like deep, meaningful relationships. But the, the irony to that is that he sure lets us in he does. a lot. Yeah. And I think he's a liar <laughs> because the way he treats us, the way he treats us is though, um, is though he needs us. Yeah. And um, I've learned a lot from that. And, uh, and so I want to, I want my leaders, my, the, the people that I love that are growing, I want them to know that I need them. I'm not always going to be able to give everybody the same amount of attention, but um, but I have to desperately know that every point of contact that I make with the people in my ministry is intentional, loving, and reflective of my heart, even if I can't sit down with them and have a 20-minute conversation or only if we really have a serious conversation once a year. I need them to know that I care and that what I want for them is the same thing that I want for myself. And that's a good judgment seat. Wow. Praise the Lord. So from a, a leadership development perspective, I want to drill down a little bit more specifically about Kaya. Okay. The College of Young Adult Ministry here at Midtown Baptist Temple. Okay. So I want to I want to share some some current stats with you as it relates to Kaya mm-hmm. and their discipleship involvement here. At MBT from a leadership perspective. Okay. Okay. So here we go. Including apprentice. Yeah. Apprenticeship role is like someone who's learning underneath a discipler, right? Correct. Okay. So they're 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 with a discipler who is discipling someone and they're gaining meaningful experience. They're involved in the, in the discipleship process. They are. Yeah. Okay. okay. So including apprentice, there are 90 people currently discipling in Kaya right now. 
Now, it wasn't that long ago that it was as high as about 135. Mm. Okay. So we, we've had quite a few people that have finished. Yeah. Okay. And have moved on to D2 and LFBI. Yeah. Speaking of D2, there are 35 students from Kaya who are currently in Discipleship 2, which is a leadership equipping environment. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then from there, we go to LFBI. Right. So right now, there are 61 students that are enrolled in the Living Faith Bible Institute out of Kaya. All right. So leadership development is clearly a focus within your ministry in Kaya, and it is happening. So to the college pastor who might stumble across this interview and is listening and is trying to work through and figure out how do you establish a leadership culture how do you d- establish a, a leadership developing culture mm-hmm. with college and young adults? Well, hmm. so I think the first thing I could say is that I was handed, again, I was handed down the template. So, you know, it was the work of other people that developed discipleship material. It was the work of other people that said we needed we need cost of discipleship to call something to people to something greater and then and to then plug them into discipleship. It was, you know, it was someone else who developed LFBI, right? Like I get to help in these areas now, but but I didn't invent these things. And the way I see it is uh, that those things are all the trellis, right? Mm-hmm. So these are the things that are the structure that make. Uh, growth possible, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Makes it makes growth possible. That was a team effort, and these were the brain brainchild of someone else. So, with a structure like that, I can be very, very confident okay. in the work of evangelism. So, I think what's when I hear all of that, that stuff seems obvious to me. Like, oh yeah, of course we have that many people in in those areas getting trained up. Of course. Um. The thing that's not a given is, will we be evangelizing next week, mm-hmm. right? Uh, a month from now, will the heartbeat of, of the college and young adult ministries be to go and win the lost? So it's, it's planting the seeds necessary f- for things to grow up the trellis. So if you don't plant the seeds, well, there's nothing on the trellis, right? There's, yeah. there's, there's no growth. There's no development. We're not seeing the vine you know, grow into full bloom and, and produce fruit if we're not constantly planting seed. And so I, I think as much as I'm about leadership development, I could talk about it all day. I think the real revolutionary perspective for me has been, has been the necessity of evangelism and how even the tools that we use for growth, such as Bible study, yes, can be transformed into also being evangelical outreaches. And so we just uh we just beat that drum a lot and then it's and then we're seeing fruit produce and it's to me it's no it's no big surprise that we're seeing leaders develop into pastors. Like that's that's not a surprise for me. Um the thing that's not a given is whether or not we're going to go find the lost people and deliver them from darkness. Wow. Culture is a big word. And it's a very delicate thing in ministry. And I think the the culture is such in Kaya that when when people come in, they get it. 
they start to hear it. They start to see it. They start to understand this is the culture. This is how we think. This is how we speak. And this is how we function. And I think it just it just continues to fuel that, hey, if I'm in Kaya, uh, I'm not here just to hang out because it's what college young adults do. Mm-hmm. As much as I enjoy that and, yeah. and that's that's beneficial and all that. But ultimately, it's about the father's business. Sure. And I think that's very evident. I do want to ask you something, and I, 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 because you have, you have mentioned Sam's name probably ten times by now. Yeah. If I had, if I had to sure. guess, and Sam's obviously a huge impact in my life, past, present, and future will be. Who is Sam Miles to you, and how has God used Sam? Because, you know. We're here as leaders because of the leaders that God used in our lives, right? But Sam is special. I can see it in your eyes. So talk about Sam's investment, influence in in your life as a pastor, as a man. Uh, so for me, Sam is... Uh, my dad. Wow. And so, you know, I have a great, I have a great stepdad who was, um, you know, came alongside my mom and, and has, has really supported my mom. Um, but I was always, I was, by the time he came around, I was a teen and, and I wasn't even in the house. Um, Sam represents, uh, something better than I could ever have in a physical fatherly relationship. And that's someone who, entrusts eternal work to me. And so the opportunity to invest in souls and the fact that he has taken a risk on me, which is, you know, how I would explain it, is that, I, you know, when I didn't see anything good or a value in myself, he was still willing to call me, mm-hmm. you know, call me up. And, uh, you know, I got I got minutes when I shouldn't have. Mm. you know and uh i'm better for it you know i've grown and um and so he's he's still that to me and it's uh of more value than i can even begin to understand what sam has given me is an opportunity to please jesus christ in a way that i that i don't think i would have been able to if i had not have met him perhaps god would have made another way or maybe it would have been another another investment somewhere else but but as far as I, I can tell and from what I can see is that God used Sam to make me valuable to the kingdom. And uh, I mean, for that, there's no there's no amount of thanks or I could spend all day tr- trying to explain that. But, you know, he's he's my father yeah. and, and I love him and, yeah. I, and I and I want to I want to work hard for Christ. And I think. um what that means is I I have to make sure my submission and my relationship with Sam is right, and that and that uh, I value him and 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 uh, yeah, see him for the pastor that he needs to be. So yeah. the relationship with Sam is rich, and so is the history. Okay, can you think of a a moment like if you had to identify one moment that was very impactful with Sam, like one that just absolutely right. You'll never forget. Can you can you can you think of that moment and share it with us? In the early days of planning this church, 
watching him physically give his body mm. to this church building and do things that I felt like he shouldn't be doing uh, was very impactful to me. And he wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. And so I don't want, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to be afraid of getting my hands dirty. He taught me that. Um, there was a moment, a transitional point in ministry here when we first planted the church where we could have moved into lots of ministry objective. Like we could have just made ourselves really busy. And just before we went over that precipice, he called us back to prayer mm. and to deeper faith. And that was transformative to me. It revolutionized the way that I saw prayer and faith and, uh, and it, and it allowed me to correct, auto, like correct the way I saw works. You know, what am I going to do for the Lord? Well, that's a ridiculous, that's like a ridiculous statement. Um, what am I going to trust him for? Mm. And it changed, that changed my perspective. There was a time, uh, that, you know, we were sitting down and I was speaking, you know, we were tr having an open dialogue. And, uh, when I was a young man, it was not uncommon for me to put my foot in my mouth. And I think I said something that, that irked Sam and he, he kind of snapped at me. And, uh, And he apologized to me. Mm. Like he was broken because he thought he'd hurt me. Mm. And I should have been apologizing to him. Mm. That was transformative. Like yeah. uh, hum the humility, the level of humility um, and care, that was transformative. Uh, when he asked me to be the, the high school and middle school uh, minister and took that risk when I didn't deserve it, that was transformative. Um when he trusted the Lord for me to come on staff and the way that he trusted the Lord for that um, and and wanted that as desperately as I did and to, to watch him work through that and make that happen, transformative. I can go on and on all day uh, and so I better not. But yeah. these are all moments that, that's just some of the moments that, that you know stand out to me. Rich. Yeah. Very rich. Thank you for just sharing your heart. I, I expect it nothing less. Well, it's 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 you know people who don't know you from a distance. I I, I think they um, obviously people can form their sure. opinions and yeah, yeah, and yeah. whatnot. But uh, you know one of the things I I'll, I'll say about you is um, you're a very sensitive guy, and I don't mean that in a it's yeah. not a critique. Yeah, it's it's I was I was I was talking with someone about you, and I said Brandon is a heart guy. Mm. Like it with Brandon, it's got to be heart to heart. That's yeah. the only way that Brandon rolls. And and once once I've got your heart and you've got mine to you, we've got something. Yeah. If we if if we don't have each other's hearts, we don't have anything. Yeah. And I think when you talk about Sam, you're talking from the heart. Yeah. He has your heart and you have his and you want to keep it that way. Sure. So we've talked about a lot. And and actually, I think to me, I th probably you as well, this seems a little short. Because yeah. typically, I mean, we we can, you you and I. We can go on forever and We ever. could talk another five hours. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I came in with a, a set of questions I wanted to address and we worked through most of those. And I'm like, well, let's just keep going. But our listeners don't have <laughs> yeah. endless amounts of time. So I, I want to... I want to I, I want to wrap up with this. So something that you mentioned earlier, you talked about your heart to see 
you know, leaders and, and pastors and churches planted. You, I mean, you, you want to see that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you think about what you're trusting God for. Yeah. And Kaya. Mm-hmm. Okay. If God were to honor that, mm-hmm. what do you think Kaya would look like five years from now? At least in my mind, what I'm aiming for, and, and he can correct this, but we need to have enough believers in the class uh, to generate a steady flow of church planners, mm. which requires more evangelism. Uh, it's going to require us sharing our faith more and bringing in more babes. And uh, so I'm really excited about the idea, not because I care about numbers, right? but in order, because f- there's a process of development, right? There's a process of growth and it takes time. Yes, it does. And so if we, if things aren't happening in a, in a natural process, in, a, in other words, if we have a season where we're not real fruitful, evangelically mm-hmm. or we have a season where people aren't effectively being plugged into discipleship at any level in terms of the growth and development there's something is stunted or grows stagnant then that will affect the steady flow of leaders equipped to go into plant churches and so i believe that we have to grow as a ministry numerically because i believe that, that there has in order to go from strength to strength there has to be a proper supply of leaders that are moving into that funnel towards church planting. Okay. So we've got we've got to get back to where the lost people are, and we have to win them, and mm. uh, we have to reason with them from God's word because they're looking for it and they're hungry and their lives are meaningless. And so, if we're effective evangelically, then that flow will continue to go. And I can imagine Kaya. Before it's got a steady stream, we could be as we could be as many as three hundred young people, um, in order to effectively ensure that there's a steady flow up the the development ladder. Sam's talking about planting, you know, thirty, forty, fifty churches in the next decade or whatever. Well, th- that's whatever he says. That's that's what I'm trusting the Lord for, mm. and so that means working with the discipleship team and the missions team to make sure that people are growing right but that also that they're getting opportunity to see the mission field. And so, you know, the, the, the initiatives like the two by two trips. And the more we do that, again, it's natural. The trellis is in place. The ability to develop, to develop is in place. But the thing that I need to make sure is happening is that along the way, nothing gets stunted and, uh, and, and, you know, negatively impacted. So, so we can get the work done. So that when the rapture, when the Trump sounds, um, we are, we can we can meet it with a smile on our face, Amen. you know. Yeah, Brandon, this has been rich. I love you, brother. I love you, Thank and you. I'm I'm actually a little disappointed. We gotta we gotta put a period on this. We'll pick it up this show. week. Just you and me, though. We absolutely will. <laughs> I want to thank you. We want to thank you for listening or or viewing this episode of the Postscript. We've talked about a lot, but we we have. We have focused primarily on leadership and leadership development in particular. If you have questions about that or you're looking for help with that, if I could just encourage you to please visit lfbi.org, our Living Faith Bible Institute, for more information, for tools, resources, and support. Thanks again for watching The Postscript.